0: The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say, we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe.
1: On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast we react to Bruce Arena's roster as the U.S. men's national team takes on Panama and Trinidad and Tobago in some of the biggest World Cup qualifiers in history. Doug Robertson, reporter for AJC, calls in to talk Atlanta United and their recent success at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And finally, it's that time of the month again, guys. Our mailbag is open. We answer your questions. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderin, the one and only Armancafai on the line. What's going on? Coming off a fever, in fact.
1: Yeah, I'm surviving, guys. I'm surviving right now. Uh, uh, it's that yeah, time of year. Going. Yeah, that time of the year where you get the flu and you get sick for a couple weeks. So I'm surviving right now. But I'm, the show has to go on, man. The show, show has,
2: to has to go on. And we got a programming note. Hey us men's national team has the two most important world cup qualifiers coming up so we're going to do a preview of both the games in one show come out before friday's game that means thursday be on the outlook you'll have a little preview and then following the game or following the world cup qualifying break we will recap to you the games and give you our thoughts especially if they don't qualify or they do qualify and we'll we'll tell you what we think but, Armand, Bruce Arena dropped the roster on us this afternoon. And um very interesting roster, to say the least. I mean, is it really interesting or is it really just bland? Uh, very interesting that he absolutely did nothing to change the, the team since uh, they've, you know, took one point from six the last round about a month ago.
1: I mean, I don't blame him, but... I do look at some of the uh, inclusions in the roster, and I do scratch my head a little bit. I don't know if you do the same, but I do
2: scratch my head a little bit. Oh, absolutely, do I scratch my head? I mean, let's start goalkeeping. All right, Timmy Howard from the Colorado Rapids. Who else are you going to call up? Right, Brad Guzan. Yeah, Atlanta United. Sure, Nick Remondo. Really, why doesn't he give it to a young kid there? What what does what does Nick bring from Real Salt Lake? What does he bring to this 26-man roster?
1: I actually I truly don't under under understand that reasoning. I feel like just give it if you gave it to a younger a younger player, I mean especially if it's an international based player, maybe they're not even playing during that time, so why not maybe give this give the spot to him? I don't understand why it ha, why it has to be Ramondo. I mean Ramondo he's what like 35, he has no future national team and it's not like the third goalkeeper plays. So I mean, why not give it to someone you know that will that would take that experience? Absolutely. And I, you, you know like, um, who was it? Uh, Ethan Horfath. He's uh currently playing right now, for Club Brugge in uh in Belgium. He's starting. Uh, he actually started today uh, against uh, Ghent. Why not give a spot to him? Why not give a spot maybe to Abil Hamid? Or Sean Johnson or or Jesse Gonzalez. Throw out some names out there. I
2: just just don't get it. I don't get it either because it's not like he – it's not like you have a captain. You know, you don't have – he's not a captain of the team. He's not somebody that the defenders or the midfielders can look up to to gain experience. So you kind of have to scratch your head at that. I mean, honestly, Timmy Howard – and Guzan, you don't have any better options. There's a reason why they get called up because the other options aren't going to have the same experience. But why not give the experience of the third goalkeeping spot to one of these younger guys so you can, you know, hopefully get them to replace Howard and Guzan in the next, you know, six to eighteen months.
1: No, absolutely. I t- I, to- I totally agree with that sentiment. I mean, I don't I don't see the point of of of, of keeping those guys. I mean. I mean, after what this next World Cup cycle, we're going to be looking for a new goalie. Let's be honest here.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, we like- we've been looking for a new goalkeeper probably since the last World Cup. If if we're actually going to sit here and really break down the the roster, is there hasn't been a stud that's that's really you know that diamond in the rough that's really started to shine in the recent you know six to 18 months. So it's been Howard. regardless of his play, he had that. Remember he took time off.
1: Right. Exactly. That sabbatical kind of like what Donovan did.
2: Yeah. And, and and luckily uh, for Howard, the job's still open and he got it. All right. But moving on to the defense where, which was a huge issue for the national team, especially against Costa Rica, gaping holes everywhere. You got Cameron, Gonzalez, Beasler Lafania, Yedlin, who uh, you know is coming off the injury, Zusi, Tim Ream, Beasley, and Michael Orozco, Orozco Vasca. Yeah, um, we're well, looking at this lineup. I mean,
1: without John Brooks, you're gonna be limited, and we saw Beasler come off a little late in the SKC game, so that's still coming kind of up in the air. I mean. Outside of that, is there any like I don't think there's any surprises, Steven. I mean, no, I, this is like a relatively routine roster. I mean, I mean, defen- Fabi- defensive group. Sure, sorry. sure.
2: You know, Fabian Johnson. Do you lump him in as is as, as part of this? As, I mean, as a defender. I mean, it depends what system you want to run. Let's say you run like
1: how we've been clamoring for a three back line. I mean, I feel like Johnson fits perfectly into that left back into that left wing back role. Um, at left back, do I think he might be better than some of the options that the United States have now? Honestly, I'd probably say yes. I I feel like he is a better option than some of the players the United States has right now. I, I, and I, yeah. That's kind of scary.
2: <laughs> no. I agree. B- besides him, you know, that's the only player that I can think of that's missing, but Cameron, yeah, he's a stud, you know well, stud, but you know he's important to Stoke City, so of course he's going to get Gonzalez, experienced Beesler, somewhat experienced, but you know Yedlin might be the bright spot. He might be he might bring something to the squad that you didn't see last round of World Cup qualifying. The question is, how healthy is he, and how much is he going to be able to play?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, hopefully we get to see him play. We will to see the. Uh uh, absolute mediocrity that Graham Zusi is. Um, that would be a, uh, a blessing from the heavens. To not see that <laughs> that right back role ever played by Graham Zusi again. But Yedlin providing that pace on the wing and that experience coming from now the Premier League and playing the championship for the team that dominated. Not well, not dominated, but won the championship in Newcastle. I mean, we've seen Yedlin play. He just provides a different spark to the United States that, if he doesn't play, they don't have.
2: Yeah, no, and and he brings something that I think could really aid Christian Pulisic, and it's more speed.
1: Oh yeah, he's a, such a pacey wingback. He's he's a fun he's a fun pacey wingback to watch. He can track back on defense. You see, Zusi sometimes he'll get burned on long balls and whatnot. I saw that happen a couple times in the Gold Cup. Uh, When they played Costa Rica in the semifinal, uh, I watched the qualifiers as well. I mean, who was it? I think it was Kyoto uh, for Honduras was just burning Zucy up and down the wing. Oh, yeah. You have have Yedlin on there. That's not an issue.
2: It's not an issue. The question, you know, you got to ask yourself a lot is what is the mindset of Bruce Arena, and why did he select these players? And it wasn't to surprise anybody. It was to qualified for the World Cup so he went and got his most experienced players but it's a little bit scary knowing that these are the most ex, you know experienced players and you look at look at these names the Marcus Beasley Tamarine Graham Zosie Matt Beasler. they don't they're not eye-popping names It's scary to know that this is the best defensive core that the United States has to offer at the moment. Yeah, it I, is. It, it, it's it's you know it's baffling, and you know don't forget John Brooks. But John Brooks is hurt. So one player, that's it. You know Fabian Johnson. Those are the two players that were left off. But uh, Brooks is hurt. Johnson, who was terrible last World Cup qualifying, no surprise that he didn't come back. It, it's 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 terrible. Midfielders: Kellen Acosta, Juan Agudelo. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Paul Arriola, Andrej- Alejandro Badoya, Michael Bradley, Benny Fellhaber, Matt Dax, McCarty, Darlington Nagby, Christian Pulisic, and Z- Zardes. Who Which, just
1: withdra- Who just withdrawed.
2: Yeah, and has had a ha- terrible MLS season.
1: Yeah, um, Zardes being called up, I know a lot of people will try to uh, exp- rationale it by saying he played good You know, last last year in qualifying i i i i don't, I don't like zardes being called up i feel like he provides absolutely nothing to this midfield but knowing bruce Arena, he would start if he would possibly start or he'd definitely be the first option off the bench since bruce loves uh, zardes 100% but the one name that caught my eye and really threw me off had to be agadillo
2: you want to know his stats for 2017 Spit some truth bombs on me. All right, games played twenty six. Games started nineteen. Eight goals, one assist. What?
0: Why? <laughs> yeah, Why? he's
2: he when, he when he when he I think he was
1: uh, supposed to go to Stoke, but then he couldn't get a work permit, so I sent him on loan to a team in the uh, Netherlands. And he kind of ever since then hasn't really picked back up his form. That um, he's still so young. It's crazy to think about that.
2: He's only 24 and you feel like he is 34 with how often his name is associated with the national team.
1: Yeah, cuz these guys get associated so young, I feel like. And
2: did he not score against Argentina years ago? It was like he was like know. 17.
1: I'm not sure. I don't remember to be honest.
2: I could have sworn that was him. Regardless, that's definitely an I, you know, that Juan Aguadillo, uh Nacosta. Acosta I get why, but you know he has been really poor of late,
1: and he's been injured.
2: Dad, which, you know? Doesn't why doesn't he bring in a Danny Williams?
1: Well, because Williams is injured too.
2: <laughs> no, <Nah, well. laughs> is he really? I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, he is injured. Mm-hmm. But um, one name on this list I really like is the one you said. A little bit of surprise and a little bit of joy. Benny Failhopper. Um, now maybe with this run of form he's had he has right now maybe it's a little more controversial but i thought he should have been included in the roster a couple times when klinsman was uh in charge and a few more times earlier in the uh arena days but um i really like fail because he does provide some creativity in the middle of the park which we've come to learn that if it's not pulisic it's basically dempsey or nobody and um the the addition of Benny Failhaber just provides some creativity that, like we like we've talked about before, the USA has been lacking uh, over time. Oh,
2: for sure. Uh Christian Pulisic. It's no surprise. Obviously, he gets called up. Like, if you weren't called up, we'd be <laughs> screwed. But it the the Bruce Arena, ha- the thing is with this roster. Before we get to the forwards, the most important part is. I don't the players are important. It's the system that Bruce Arena implements that's going to to define how good this squad is. Because you saw you you saw the system work against Mexico and then he scraps it and it was an absolute failure against Costa Rica. And then in Honduras, it up until Bobby Wood's goal, it would have been another disaster, right? So mm-hmm. If Bruce, if Christian Pulisic is stranded on the flank again, what's that tell you? Does Bruce Arena not understand the game? Is it has it gone by him?
1: I, I if you see Pulisic on the wing, I'd be I'd be surprised. I mean, it uh, it's 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 a much different game, and we saw when he was isolated on the wing, they would lots of teams would bring multiple bodies. Into and just clamber onto the ground. When he's in the middle of the park, he has more space to operate. Yeah. And when he's restricted on that wing, it just keeps him. It just keeps him in that corner of sorts. Compared to when you when you put someone in the middle of the field, they can drift off to the left, drift off to the right, stay in the middle. If you give Pulisic that free free roam to go in the middle of the park, it's
2: well, it would be, it's a home run. It also it house be. Michael Bradley and Kellen Acosta who get sometimes sucked up or one of them backtracks or they have no good communication and then at least gaping holes as you saw uh, against Costa Rica. So by having Pulisic play in the middle in front of Bradley or in front of Costa, you, you, it opens up the that room to sit back and do what their job is and it's to be defensive midfielding stoppers it isn't to create michael bradley kelly and costa don't have that creativity that christian pulisic has
1: no a- 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 absolutely that's that's a very that's very true um and that's why i think he should be more centrally the thing is will bruce put him centrally or will bruce put him on the wing
2: yeah yeah that's uh, the question of the day it's the question of the day listeners let us know follow us on twitter on Pod. as far as uh forwards goes Josie door Clint Dempsey, Bobby Wood, Chris Wondolowski.
1: Are you surprised by any of that? No. Okay.
2: I mean, what what else are you going to get? The pro, What's scary is who's there to replace Dempsey? Who's to replace Josie Altidore, which who is bound to get hurt at some point? You know? uh, And Chris Wondolowski, why is he even there?
1: <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that l- later. But – what about you? Surprising names? No.
1: Uh, on this roster overall... Well, as a far double, as the forward but, position goes. But
2: forwards, no. Who, who do you expect? Well, that's the thing is, who do you expect? And that's the scary thing. Most importantly, what's scary is, this is your roster, USA. Are you proud of the 26-man roster that you have? Huh? Are you proud that these are the best soccer, the best footballers, a nation of 320 million of all cultures who immigrate to this country this is the best that we can produce at the moment it is quite frankly scary to know that and we and within one well within the next 10 days we will know if we would have qualified for the world cup or not and if we don't qualify for the world cup it will set back soccer for a generation
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I saw one, I saw an article saying that it would be good if the U.S. missed the World Cup. I think the <laughs> soccer, the soccer not being as popular as it is in the states, it could be so crucial to boost MLS and to boost the national team as a whole. Missing it would, I would say, almost it would be a DEFCON five. Yeah, situation right there. Oh, no,
2: it would be terrible. Ah, uh, but the roster. Remember, catch our preview show coming up later this week we'll talk about the two massive games give you our lineups give you a little insights on what to expect orlando city is gonna uh orlando city stadium is gonna be awesome can't wait to see that but up next we got some atlanta united insight mm. Alrighty listeners, joining us right now is Doug Robertson, reporter for AJC Atlanta Journal Constitution, here to talk to some Atlanta United. How's it going?
3: Oh, it's fine, it's fine. How are you doing tonight?
2: We're doing great. And let's get straight to it. Atlanta United, what a season they have had. Was this ever in their game plan to qualify for the playoffs and have, you know, a record
3: attendance? Oh, no, it was very much in the game plan. I mean, they they made no bones from the time that Arthur Blank uh, and Don Garber introduced the franchise uh, three years ago that it was going to be the best or one of the best, if not the best, in Major League Soccer. Arthur committed to putting a winning product on the field, and so that's been the goal since then. And it it started with the hiring of Darren Eels from Tottenham Hotspur, to the hiring of Carlos Bocanegra uh, and Rodriguez, uh, who has since gone on to a huge position at the WBA was a giant hire for the business operations and the marketing. And then of course, Gerardo Martino uh, kind of rounded out that, that front office staff that has been able to put this team together and has them in uh, third in the MLS East right now and pushing NYCFC for second.
1: Yeah. Let's t- let's talk about that recent stretch. I mean, so was in September they finally moved into the the Mercedes Benz Stadium finally opened up and it seems like that stadium and Atlanta United it just it's just instant fireworks whenever you go watch a game and they're playing at Mercedes Benz Stadium. How is how is the team I guess adjusted to to the stadium playing from uh Bobby Dodd to now uh, Mercedes Benz? Has there been an adjustment or I mean they seem like they've just. Jumped on and been on fire ever since. It was
3: there's a, there's a little bit of an adjustment. Um, Bobby Dodd was a fantastic place to watch soccer. It was kind of an old school European style feel. Bobby Dodd is Georgia Tech's uh, home football stadium. For those who don't know, it's in right in downtown Atlanta. It's a beautiful place to to watch either football or soccer because the Atlanta is in the background and whatever. But the field was small, which doesn't really fit Atlanta United's speed, particularly on offense. Um, so when they moved to Mercedes-Benz, the field went from 70 to 110, or what they say was 70 and 110. I think it was probably a little bit smaller than that, to 75 and 115 mm. and a, a watered-down turf. And so there's so much more room for guys to run, like Hector Viaba and Emil Assad and Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amaron before he sustained his injury. And it's just really hard to deal with that speed if you're an opposing team. And so, through their first six games, which were played in eighteen days, uh, they went five zero and one, and outscored uh, people twenty two to three, with five shutouts. It was it was really an impressive performance at, at the one point five billion dollar stadium.
2: Doug, I gotta I gotta ask you because Michael Bradley has come out and criticized the turf up in New England uh, uh-huh. for not necessarily being turf but the lines on the field now i think uh soccer is meant to be played on grass turf isn't necessarily the best for the sport how have the players uh adjusted to playing on turf at the mercedes-benz arena
3: uh i agree with michael bradley on the lines on the field uh, lenny and i had played at new england uh saturday night oh that was, was terrible oh that was well, even was worse horrible. yeah it was horrible i don't know what what, why Robert Kraft won't fix that situation, but Major League Soccer should be embarrassed by it and should make him, make him fix it because uh, it's ridiculous. They can erase some of the end zone lines and repaint them, and if they can do that, why can't they do it for the whole field? Uh, but anyway, a Mercedes-Benz stadium, that was actually one of the very first questions Arthur Blank was asked at that introductory, introductory press conference was, would there be football lines on the field, and he committed to no, And so when you go to an Atlanta United game at Mercedes-Benz, there are no football lines on the field. Frankly, you won't even see anything related to the Falcons. Uh, But in a few places in the stadium, it's all devoted to Atlanta United on their game days. Um, So that's one of the reasons uh, that the team has more than 42,000 minimum at six of the first seven games and 70-something thousand at the Orlando City game. And they're going to try to do that again when Michael Bradley and Toronto come for the regular season finale at Mercedes Benz. But to your question, uh, you know the players don't they would prefer grass over turf. They love the grass at Bobby Dodd, but so far the turf seems to be working pretty well for them. It it accentuates their speed, and uh, it's a a high class of turf or whatever that means. (laughs) And the the players seem to be okay with it so far.
1: No, absolutely. I mean. The team is on fire at at, at what at Bob at um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, excuse me. Um, but has there been an issue of uh, Tata Martino's rotations, especially with Al Marone uh, hurting his hamstring? It seems like he uses the same uh, players week in and week out, and I mean the team is having a huge congestion of games. Uh, within these last uh, what like twenty four days, like was it eight games in twenty four in twenty four days? Um, yeah. Is there is there a concern um, with his squad rotation, especially with the playoffs coming up, and again with Al Marone's injury?
3: Uh, there there are there's concern from the people who don't cover the team or follow the team pretty consistently, but they are you know each of those players are hooked up to all this equipment and they can monitor everything they do and measure their breathing and their calories and, and you know, everything. And so Martino gets that information. He talks to the players. He knows what they can do and what they can't do. You can't predict muscle injuries. You can kind of predict some other poss- possibilities, but it's difficult to predict muscle injuries. So while it's true that Almiron has played a lot of minutes and that while Martino has been reluctant to rotate players, He had a couple of good reasons. Number one, they hadn't locked up a playoff berth until three games ago. Right. Or two two games ago against Philadelphia when they finally locked up a playoff berth. So he needed his best players out there playing. And he theorizes that it's really more to do with the congestion of games than squad rotation. Uh, Because a few of these games were blowouts. And so the second half of them, there wasn't really a whole lot to do for the guys. They didn't have to do a lot of running. They were just kind of out there. Uh, more of a training exercise than anything else. But he doesn't think that squad rotation had anything to do with the injuries.
2: Doug, Atlanta United playoffs. Obviously, we mm-hmm. talked about that. That was in the plan. Every every team aspires to, to make the playoffs. But, I mean, how has Atlanta United captured, you know, Atlanta as a city? Obviously, you had the Falcons go to the Super Bowl. Now you have uh, United doing so well expectations going into the playoffs, how far do you think the squad and this team can go?
3: Well, if they're healthy, if they get Almiron back for the playoffs and if they if Greg Garza's injury that he sustained Saturday night, which the team hasn't disclosed yet, even if it is an injury, if they get him back, then there's no reason to think that they aren't capable of winning the whole thing. Uh, now, if Almiron can't play and if Garza is out, then the expectations are tempered a little bit. I think they can still get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know if they can advance. It's just going to depend upon how how healthy the squad is and the opponent they're facing. There's really not a team in MLS that I think they have difficulty with. The only one might be NYCFC, and it's only because Mm -hmm. of the tiny, tiny postage stamp field at at Yankee Stadium that they'd be forced to play on. They did not do well on that little microscopic thing <laughs> when they played there earlier this season. <laughs> um, but really, really, that's the only the only I think concern the team might have. Um, they're deep. They're, they're experienced. They've got guys who've played in MLS cups before.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, they've got guys who've been in pressure situations in, in South America before and in international games with their national teams before. Um, so. You know, it's, none of this is going to be new to them. Oh, for sure. And
2: it's it's incredible to see a, a club like Atlanta United kind of just drop into a league and have so much success. But it tells you all the hard work they, they put into the, the seasons beforehand to set up their squad. And I think it's a great story for MLS to see Atlanta United, A, qualify for the playoffs. Now, B, hopefully they can make a nice deep run because with that home field advantage and that, you know, you know it would be a sellout of 70,000 uh, at the Mercedes uh, Benz Stadium, it would be incredible to watch.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it would be 70,000. And, you know, Atlanta United had an advantage that some other expansion teams haven't had, and that it had two years to get everything going. Um, and other teams haven't really had that. And it had a totally clean slate, it didn't have anything uh, left over that it felt like it had to incorporate or, or use that maybe. It didn't want. And I'm not saying other teams have had that particular thing, but they have already had, you know, training centers or players or coaches or something that they've taken with them from a lower division into MLS or whatever, however they were born. But Atlanta United took it full advantage of those two years. And I mean, people in Atlanta know that if Arthur Blank signs on to do something, such as with the Falcons, that he's going to spend the money he's going to make it as good as he can possibly make it you know within within all expectations and so i think that that's been a huge component of the popularity of the team is that fans know if we put ourselves into this team arthur blank is going to do everything he can to help us feel the way we want to feel with success on the field you know which is different than the Braves, whose ownership is Liberty Media out in Colorado, who don't seem mm-hmm, to care a whole mm-hmm. lot about what goes on with the team. Uh, the Hawks just got a new owner, and he seems to be more in the blank mold than the owner of the Braves, so we'll see what happens there. But there, the ownership group before that was a consortium that was just full of infighting and, and all this other mess, and people didn't like that very much. Um, but I think that was a huge right, um, huge reason for the, the uh, fans— interest in the team I mean
1: let's t- let's talk about the fans Doug I mean they full-on embraced Atlanta United I mean we're seeing what crowds of 45 what 42 43,000 midweek I mean I mean I can't seem to emphasize enough. midweek we're seeing crowds <laughs> of 42 43,000 while in other MLS uh, uh, stadiums we struggle to see even maybe 12 13 14,000 on weekends I mean what is the soccer culture like down there Doug I mean it seems pretty immense
3: yeah, I mean the state has a a really strong soccer culture. It has um more than 80,000 registered players and players, uh referees, uh, coaches, etc. in the youth leagues. It's the second most popular uh sport in Georgia. I think it's either behind running or tennis. I don't I, don't, I can't remember which <laughs> one. Uh both are really really popular within the state too. Mm. Um And so, you know, there have been a lot of different professional teams in different leagues and levels in the state, uh, including the Atlanta Chiefs, the very first one way back in the 60s. They won the very first league title in Atlanta sports history when they won the NASL um, Mm -hmm. way back in the day. Um, But this has all just come on at at the exact right moment with the exact right owner, with the exact right leadership group, Um, And it's just all worked really well. And when I've gone around, followed the team on the road, and seen different MLS cities, you know, like the abomination that is Gillette Stadium for an MLS team, uh, I worry a little bit about the crowds because they're not very good, uh, even on Saturday nights or Saturday afternoon games. Um, And so I'm hoping that during this next round of expansion that the league can somehow figure out which cities and which ownership groups are going to have the same kind of buy-in as what's in Seattle and Portland uh, and Atlanta and Orlando City to an extent?
2: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see the fans how these expansion clubs have a real advantage when it comes to the fan base. You see Orlando City, NYCFC. Um, LAFC these fan bases really lo- so some reason these expansion clubs this is something new and then you see the, the older markets like New England FC Dallas to, large parts even Houston Colorado they still struggle even though in Chicago there because of Bastian Schweinsteiger a huge name there's only reason why you see the attendance go up yeah the teams also performed well but it's a real weird dynamic within the league to, to see how the old versus the new do as far as it comes to on-the-field success and off-the-field.
3: Yeah, at least in Atlanta. Um, the downtown part of Atlanta, like a lot of metropolitan cities around the country, is um, really populated by millennials. And millennials um, are the, you know, the top demographic for Major League Soccer, I, I believe. Uh, that's what I've heard and read. And so a lot of these MLS teams that have stadiums way far outside downtown, like in Chicago, like in Dallas, like in New England, uh, where some of the other places that I've been in which the stadiums are are way far outside of town. Uh, Yeah, Colorado. Chicago, too. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I said Chicago. Oh, you did. Uh, Houston, Kansas City. Um, I would think – I know they can't, but if, or, or, uh, I'm sorry, Philadelphia, if they could figure out some way, whenever those leases expire or whatever, to get those stadiums downtown with tax breaks, you know, so that they're financially feasible, I think you'll see the attendances go way up, because that's where the millennials are. That's where the consumers are. Oh, for Um, sure. But I know the ownership groups are a little bit handcuffed in, in a, in a lot of those regards, but maybe, when it's time for new stadiums to be discussed, they can figure out some solutions.
2: I mean, we've had John Strong on the show, and he talked about if you walk around the cities, Portland, for example, you <clears> see <throat> you don't see, you know, NFL shirts. Obviously, Portland doesn't have a team, butter trail. But a trailer. you walk, you see the Timbers. But more importantly, where I'm at here in Madison, Wisconsin. The most popular jersey I see around here is not the Green Bay Packers. It's, it's soccer clubs. It's the c- cities, the Chelsea's, the the European markets. But, Spot on. You know, you, you, you definitely see that millennial change from, you know what? Soccer jerseys are way cooler, and they're also more fascinating to wear. It tells you about a lot more things. And I think MLS is starting to gear that because you do start seeing, you know, some MLS merchandise, especially the big markets like uh, New York. Uh, the Seattle's, the Portland's, these huge markets, you know, you you see them around town.
3: Yeah, that's um, that's true in Atlanta. Um, I, I've, I've told the story a few times on different shows, but I'll share it with y'all.
2: Awesome. Uh, Lenny,
3: Lenny, <laughs> United. Well, it just it exemplifies what you're talking about. Um, the very first Lenny United game was against New York Red Bulls. It was played at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that game, um, I had set or an interview was set up with me to talk to Alexi Lawless um, at a hotel in downtown Atlanta. So I went to that interview and then I tried to get a lift from there to Bobby Dodd. It's about a 10 minute ride and I could not get a lift. It was going to be a 15 minute wait to get a lift. So I figured I would just walk it. So I walked from the hotel to Bobby Dodd. And when I got to the tailgating lot for Atlanta United, which is in this restaurant called the varsity, which is a couple of blocks from Georgia tech, um, you, you couldn't walk Within the the tailgating lot, it was so slam full of people, and oh, wow. all of them had at least something with Atlanta United on, whether it was a jersey, a scarf, a hat, a T-shirt, something. Almost every single person had already spent you know a hundred to two hundred to three hundred dollars on Atlanta United gear. And as I kept walking to the stadium and into the stadium, I, I didn't expect to see this, but it was mostly full of people wearing Atlanta United gear already. That's awesome. Wearing, and part of it is it's a new jersey. It's a new team. Yeah. So, you you know, this is the first opportunities you can have to buy this kind of stuff. Um, but as you drive around the city and walk around the city, you'll see Atlanta United flags hanging out of the condos and the apartments. That's You'll awesome. see people wearing the T-shirts and the hats. You see, I see at least far more of that than I see any other team uh, except for the Falcons. Right. And that include and that includes the Braves when wow. I'm mm-hmm. walking around
2: town. That's, wow. that's a fascinating story. I think I think it, it, it's crazy to see you know a city like that. Here's an MLS squad. Just embrace but,
1: their yeah. embrace their roster. I mean, I mean credit to Atlanta United. I mean, along with their great marketing. I mean, you also have to give credit to how the team was assembled. I mean, Steven, I know you think they're MLS Cup favorites. I mean, that's I what do. You think. I you do. Think, I mean, Doug. What, what what do you think? Do you think they're 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 going to do well? What's your predictions for the playoffs?
3: If they have Almiron back and if they have Garza back, I think they can win it all. Um, I I don't see a team that I would say oh they can't beat them. All right. Um, I think Columbus is playing really really well right now. Um, and again, the, the little s- small field at NYCFC could give them trouble in an aggregate series, but um. I mean, they've tied Toronto on the road. They've tied Seattle on the road. They've tied Portland on the road. They got beat by Vancouver, but I don't think they had Martinez in that game. Hmm. Um, They've beat Chicago at home and lost to Chicago there. The only team that they couldn't beat if they tried to, and I think you could probably give them 100 chances, is actually D.C. United for some reason. They've lost to them three times Yep, yep. (laughs) It's bizarre. They cannot beat that team. Uh, But everyone else they, they perform well against. I,
2: I can't wait to see them in the playoffs. Uh, Doug, we appreciate for uh, we appreciate you calling in. But here on the show, we have a little thing we call the shameless plug. Where can we find you on Twitter, and where can we find uh, your uh, articles?
3: I appreciate you asking. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. That's D O U G R O B E R S O N AJC. On Facebook at Atlanta United News now, and we have a podcast on iTunes called Southern Fried Soccer that oh, I'd awesome. appreciate you subscribing. <laughs> Southern to. Fried Soccer, I, I like that. that. I like that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like it, but that's the name of it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Doug, we hope uh, we can have you back on. Maybe we'll see Atlanta United in the MLS Cup. You know, that would be fascinating.
3: Yeah, anytime, guys.
2: Anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thank
3: you. Have a good one.
1: That was a good interview, man. I like that. Hearing about the Atlanta's culture, which is something that kind of lacks in Dallas. I mean, <sighs> I like it.
2: Makes me sad every time that somebody has a better city to cover soccer. And...
1: Yeah, it does. But I mean... I've been thinking about something, Steven. We got to... I got to air it out in the air.
2: Got to air it out. It's our mailbag segment, by the way. We'll answer your questions after Armand airs it out. What do we got?
1: The MLS playoff race is heating up. Is it? I I mean, what? Dallas, San Jose, Salt Lake, Dynamo are all in the contention for the fifth and sixth spots. Um, I mean, if... Either Dallas or the the Dynamo win their next game. They're at forty five points, which is two out from the Sounders, um, and with the same amount of games played, which is going to make for an interesting uh, well cu- a couple of weeks. I mean, I that's abs- just my thought. Isn't it
2: crazy that Portland could suddenly be the four seed on the road playing a wild card game, or they could have the two seed and sitting home comfortably, uh, waiting for you know the first round to pass? Oh by. yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean the East. You you had Toronto in the Supporters Shield uh, yesterday. I mean they clinched. I mean you have Atlanta finally, rock like climbing up the rankings, potentially becoming the second seed. Or I mean they're gonna ho- they're probably gonna host a home game at. I mean if they keep up the what the pace that they're going, I mean it's I mean I don't know the playoffs are gonna be really fun this year. I feel like it's gonna be a lot of. Just I th- I think even the wildcard game is gonna be really fun to let, watch. So I'm really excited for those.
2: Let, let me ask you, we're gonna do a yes and no question in here. Okay. I'm gonna go through right now, as is playoff contenders. We're gonna do two things. First round of questions. Are they MLS Cup worthy? Okay? We're gonna fly okay. through these. Toronto. Yes. Yes. NYCFC. Yes. Yes. Atlanta United. Yes. 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 Chicago Fire. Yes. No. You say no. So. Okay. okay. Columbus Crew. No. No. Red Bulls. No. no. Okay. Western Conference. Vancouver Whitecaps. No. Yes. Okay. Portland Timbers. Yes. Yes. Sporting KC. Yes. Yes. Seattle Sounders. No. Yes. I have them. No. You have them. No. Okay. Houston Dynamo. No. No. Real Salt Lake. No, no. What Real Salt Lake 6th seed? Yeah, they've, they've did they not get destroyed by Dallas like six nothing? Uh,
1: they they with the U twenty World Cup and all their oh call ups. I mean, what they've they've completely they've completely turned it around. My give credit to Mike Petke, they've turned it around completely. And,
2: I ref- I re yeah. had to refresh my uh, page because I was looking at standings from that weren't updated. I forgot that Real Salt Lake jumped Dallas. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Newsflash. You have some thoughts. You have some thoughts. On- it's- wow. I mean, you look at the Western Conference, and we list the East. is pretty clear. You pretty much know who's going to be there. But the West, I mean, you have eight clubs, you know, competing for six. Vancouver's already in. Uh, and then the games played is all over the map, so you really don't know. I mean, Dallas could suddenly f- still finish you know, the third or fourth seed. Uh, Sporting KC could have the one seed uh, because they've only played 30 games. Um, Vancouver still has a game to make up. So I, it's, it's, it's all over the map when it comes to... Where the situation is, and I don't like the fact that MLS can't get the schedule to line up. Where we're going into the final couple of weeks, everybody playing the same amount of games.
1: I mean, it's gonna work out. What the penultimate week and the ultimate week, they're gonna be at thirty three and thirty four games, respectively. So, I mean, it's gonna work out. It's just for right now, it's not it's a little work
2: annoying. Out. It's a little annoying, but hey,
1: that's that's soccer for you. Oh,
2: uh, for sure, it is soccer. Okay, I I I was I was. I got the update on my phone from uh, ESPN saying Christian Pulisic is now being pursued by Real Madrid, Arsenal, and then you always had Liverpool and Tottenham always keeping an, had an eye on him, right? And okay. I'm going to ask – I got to wonder if it would be a massive mistake for him to leave Dortmund.
1: I feel like it would because we talked about it with uh, last week with uh, Dan from Nats Abroad. We talked about how the Bundesliga, they love playing their younger players, and they embrace the youth. I mean, if you go somewhere else, I mean, I don't know
2: what could happen to him. But Real Madrid, I mean, could you imagine him being there? No. <laughs> no. To be honest, no. If he were to go to Real Madrid, how big of a statement would that be for U.S. soccer? I mean, it'd, be hu- it'd be huge, but, I mean, the rest of our national
1: team sucks, so... <laughs>
2: Hey, Ronaldo carried Portugal to the European Championship. How far do you think? If Christian Pulisic develops, he's only 19, for God's sake. Like, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, 22, 24. He's 19. Like, like he still has three, four years to grow. Physically grow. And then on the field, he's only going to grow exponentially with the amount of, you know, playing time he gets.
1: I mean, he looks like a man, so
2: ah, yeah. I don't know. He does. All right, let's get to our mailbag. There's the whistle. Uh, and Armand. Oh,
1: Steven, I hate to interrupt you. I hate to interrupt you right what? before this
2: mailbag. Um, but
1: 60 Minutes actually just did an yes. interview with Christian Pulisic, and they just tweeted out he ha- already has endorsement deals with Nike and Gatorade and other European clubs that offered Dortmund as much as $40 million for him. Is that a confirmation that someone put a $40 million bid in for Christian Pulisic and that Dortmund rejected it?
2: Oh, speculation! Uh, Pause the mailbag. Like this, I like it. Forty million. The question is, wasn't Liverpool? The thing was, I think Liverpool had to put that bid in, and it was contingent on if Philip Coutinho was going to leave. Because we, I talked about this uh, the first time that we have uh, Jeff on the show way back. I said with Neymar leaving and Barcelona. Keen on Coutinho? Could you not see Pulisic make the swap to Liverpool? Klopp has the Dortmund connection. It makes sense. I'm forty mil. Wow, uh, you know, with the inflated prices, I'm surprised it's not more. I uh, it's it's I don't know. It's really interesting. Uh, I'm gonna watch the interview
1: after this. Um, uh yeah. I'm really I'm really interested now. Uh,
2: was it 60 Minutes, these 60 Minutes, or was it 60 Minutes and then online content?
1: 60 Minutes, the 60 Minutes, like the one on CBS.
2: That's great for U.S. soccer. Let's hope they don't screw it up and not get to the World Cup. Absolutely. This now let's hop back on some mailbag, though. Okay, I, we can't start on the uh, Christian Pulisic train because uh, we'd be here till the end of the show, and we promise we do our mailbag. All right, let's get to it. I'll ask the first <laughs> questions. Uh, from MLS Aces, tweeted us, Carlos Encelotti got sacked by Bayern Munich. He is wondering if there's any chance he's coming to MLS with the big names starting to flee over here to North America.
1: I might be plain and simple. If a team can afford a salary, go for it. But I highly doubt it. Highly.
2: I. I. It's worthless getting a coach yeah. with that big of a salary because he nobody's going to – Soccer purists would love to go see him on the sideline, and it would be good for the league as as a statement. But is it going to sell more shirts? Is it going to sell more seats? Probably not.
1: No, nah, no. Nah. That's a. I would say it would be a, It would not be the smartest move by an MLS franchise, and I don't see him wanting to even uh, come to MLS. So I think that's out of the picture. All right. <whistles> yep. So um, we got, we have another question uh, from Jake. He says, Barcelona joined the EPL on a scale of one to moronic. How dumb is this?
2: Ah, uh, moronic as as can be.
1: Well, the thing is, I mean, it's a valid question because of the Catalonian uh, independent, the referendum that happened is actually happening today and in the independence debate. But if for some, if let's say they split up, I think – La Liga would be dumb not to keep Barcelona like Why would La would Liga
2: be? not keep Barcelona? Because La Liga would collapse without Barcelona.
1: Without that El Clasico, it would be oh. it would be uh, it would be bizarre, but I mean they wouldn't join the EPL. I feel like they would join League um
2: because geographically it's a little bit more closer. Even and, the Syria A would make sense.
1: Yeah, EPL wouldn't make any sense and it'd be tougher for Barcelona. So why would they want to but- Willingly want to join EPL. Do league and would suddenly become the world's
2: best league? Slowly, and players will flock there. So I mean, it'd be really interesting to see. Absolutely. As far as it comes to the political aspect, uh, Catalonia voters favor a splitting from Spain amid p- police violence. That's why Barcelona had to uh, played out. Uh, I think a three nail victory over. S- I don't remember who exactly. Uh, I'm trying to look through my notes. I don't have it. But they were playing behind closed doors. And the vote actually... Las Palmas. Las Palmas. Yes, there you go. Uh, the vote actually was in favor of splitting from Spain. And it's a weird dynamic where soccer, football, is caught in the middle of this political divide. La Liga would be absolutely stupid to let Barcelona go.
1: Yeah, it would be dumb to let them go. Like They, they, they already
2: fought... They already fought tooth and nail to keep Neymar. You know they, they they didn't want him because they knew the the marketing ability of Neymar and what it would he would mean to the league as far as revenue, uh, as important to 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 a league that really feels uh, to be a three, really a two person uh, two club league, and then you throw in Atletico every other year to make it interesting.
1: No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be. Dumb, uh, if they would willingly let them go. I mean, they they bluff and say they do, but promise you, it's all bluff.
2: I I hope it is cause I w- I'm not in favor of the move. I want to keep the leagues as as they are. I want the the leagues to have be in the region of where they're at. You know, Monaco makes mm-hmm. sense to be part of a uh, league. Uh, you know, the uh, Swansea City makes sense to be part of the Premier League. But if we just suddenly going to split, why am I just create a super league? You know. No, I
1: agree. Spot on. No, S- seriously. Like, why do not you make a Super League at this point?
2: And that's been in talks with UEFA. All right, we're moving on, in. Uh, moving on. This is from Ricky, and he wants to know, when do you think the US men's national team would be at the caliber as a European superpower and win the World Cup? He wants a timetable. That's tough. Um, I feel like,
1: Ricky, you are finally seeing the teams take off MLS-wise. I think once we see the sport take off the United States, I think we'll see it as the European super teams such as uh, Spain. If you want a realistic timetable, I think the goal for the national team is twenty twenty-six. Now why do you say twenty twenty six? Steven, you know why I'm saying twenty twenty six. Oh
2: absolutely the World Cup will be hosted here among it will actually be a forty eight club a country format among uh in the United States, Mexico and Canada. But 2026, that's what? Eight Um, years. Eight years.
1: About about eight eight to nine years.
2: Do you really think we're going to develop? Christian Pulisic at that time will be 27, so in prime. But do you think we could have another couple Christian Pulisics come up to the rings? Do you think we could feel the starting 11?
1: I mean, what? Christian Pulisic's, what, 19? If we're talking about another Christian Pulisic, he's 11. So, I mean, how are we supposed to know if he's going to be? Like that, but my thing is this: I mean, we lost a generation of soccer uh, during this during this time. That's why we're seeing players like uh, older players still being called like Demarcus Beasley and whatnot. Um, but did we res-
2: lose a generation, or did we just never have a generation?
1: I mean, that's up for debate. I feel like we we there was supposed to be so much talent, so much potential. I mean, Breck Shea was supposed to be a star at some point, and yeah. then fizzled out. <laughs> So I mean, we've we've had those boom busts, but I mean now we're seeing Jonathan Gonzalez uh, at um, was it uh, Monterey. We're seeing um, Weston McKenzie. Weston Weston McKinney at um, uh, Schalke. We're seeing Keaton Parks up at bkb We're seeing all the all these players uh, coming up the European systems. I mean, I feel like the, the this next at least not in the next World Cup, but. Give it four more years after that and, you know,
2: to be honest, I I, I guess I can agree. I'd, I'd be interested to see how far they, they get. The question is, are, if they don't qualify for this World Cup this round, then you can forget about 2026 and make it 2056, you know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, 2056. That's that's the target, 2056. Honestly, it's cre- incredible that the United States was 45 minutes away from – Lifting a UEFA, uh, not UEFA, a FIFA trophy, 2009 Confederations Cup. they were 45. 45- was, was that against Brazil or Spain? Brazil. Brazil. They actually they beat, beat Spain. They beat Spain after Spain had this massive winning or unbeaten streak. Brazil, they had two-goal lead over Brazil. Two-goal lead, and then they let that slip. How odd is that to think that that could have been one of our best – moments as a us soccer and that was in 2009
1: and now look
2: yeah now look <laughs> all right moving on right,
1: moving on i mean steven do you want to answer this question because i don't tracy says why are soccer balls black and white
2: i've i i do not know be honest, they're, they're
1: not in black and white anymore
2: where did that start
1: you're at you're asking me man i don't know
2: I but they're just, not
1: even black and white anymore. Like they're kinda there's yeah, th- different colors
2: now. Yeah, well the stereotype is that they're black and white. You color in as a four year old I remember growing up, all my soccer balls were black and white with a little hex hexagon shape. That's, yeah man. That's how you draw a soccer ball. It was never round or looked like a soccer ball, but that was the idea behind it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh I have no idea. That's a good question. A good research paper for all those yeah. uh, college students who want to tie soccer into art or something, culture. Why are soccer balls back Don't and talk
1: right? about Don't talk about art, please. <laughs> for the love of God. All right, God.
2: moving on from Eric. Did Bayern Munich pull the trigger on Ancelotti too soon after falling apart against PSG in the Champions League and then drawing 2-2 against Hertha Berlin over the weekend?
1: I mean, Stephen, to be honest with you, I really feel like that team just looked lost, especially after, I mean, they didn't, look that, they didn't look that good. I don't think they pulled it too soon. I think they, in fact, pulled it at the right time. Many clubs, I feel like, would wait. I think in this instance, for a team of Bayern Munich standard, the, the results were unacceptable and that the sacking was uh, warranted. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's my thoughts on it.
2: He lost the locker room. Yeah, the, the, that's what. What do you do when you lose the locker room? When the locker room's lost, you f- you sack the coach. He's always first to go. I think Bayern Munich are in trouble. Uh, I think it's fantastic for the Bundesliga, but um, <clears throat> comes back to my theory. By the way, Germany will not be winning the World Cup next year. Just look how their teams teams are doing right now in Champions League. I've had this weird conspiracy when the leagues do really well in. In, in com- competitions across Europe, you can go back, 2006, the Italian clubs were doing well. AC Milan, Italy won it. 2010, again, it was Spain, right? Barcelona, Real Madrid, they were doing really well. Who won the World Cup? Spain! 2014, who was doing really well as a league? It was Dortmund, it was Bayern Munich, it was the German clubs. Germany went on to win it. Who's next? France. Just pay attention to Ligue 1. Monaco. PSG. Look at their uh, their run. But as far as Bayern Munich goes, uh, I think they had they had to get rid of him because who else was going to take the blame? The players? The players were already pissed. You know, you, you have this huge mess between Ribéry, Iron Robin, James Rodriguez. What type of signing was that? Ah, it's just a mess. But He had to go. I, I He's a good coach, but...
1: No, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean... I mean... Matt actually had a question about league. Un. Uh, he says, "With super PSG, emphasis on the super, <laughs> uh, is there any competition in league? Un? And what expectations can we have for PSG in all competitions?" Matt, I'm gonna be straight up with you. They're gonna. There's no competition in league. Un. They're gonna. They're gonna run away with it. They're gonna dominate it. I mean, this team is absolutely lethal. Did you beat the other undefeated team, Bordeaux? Was it 6-2. Six 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 two, two. Two, two. They dismantled them. I'm going to be honest with you. There's no competition five, in League
2: One. Uh. F- five different scores. Added Barcelona, League One gets suddenly really interesting.
1: <laughs> All right, man. I'm just so, messing so, with So, I up. mean, I think they can go far. They'll win League One. Uh. Now, Champions League wise, they've looked
2: really well. I think um, they can win it. I think. The the English clubs as far as it comes to the Champions League because it's really fascinating. I don't think Real Madrid is all that good. I think Barcelona have taken a step back. Juventus actually I think have taken a small step back. Who knows? Uh you just have to get to the knockout phase and then you you know you you can buy a couple players in the, in the transfer market uh the winter transfer market and you could really change uh the dynamic of your club if you want to spend the money. But PSG it's not about winning league 1. It's all about winning the Champions League. They've tried that with Iber Imovic. Remember, that was why they spent all that money and they failed, failed, failed. No, you're
1: right. You know your are Steven. I think Champions League is the goal. Absolutely. Now, we're gonna um, we're gonna we're moving on a little quickly because we know you don't have all that time and we're trying to make this show nice and efficient for you guys. So Stean asked us his thoughts on Aguero on the oh. Aguero injury this is, an, this is actually really interesting take. And Pep's leniency to allow him to travel internationally for a concert. He says, do coaches give players too much leniency during the season? What, 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 what are your thoughts on
2: that? Uh, Pep Guardiola should be ashamed of himself. Sergio Gro should not be paid for the time he is hurt. I think it's ridiculous that he went, goes to this concert 48 hours before the game. What in the... Who, who in the right mind allows that? If you're a coach... A Sergio Aguero, he is a star, a star of the club, because they could buy whoever they want. And he gets hurt for eight weeks he's out. I don't feel sympathy for Sergio Aguero. Now he wasn't driving the car, it was a taxi, right? Yeah. I don't, I, I feel bad for him in that sense, but he kinda deserved what he, he gets because he left. Yeah, he got the, the permission of the manager. But what's that tell to what does that say to the fans? I really don't care. I mean,
1: yeah, but I mean, they still they still need to be allowed something outside the pitch. But I mean, I do agree. But that traveling in internationally, country. yeah, no, I no, I agree. In a different country, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a good decision. And now, uh, I mean, City are paying for it, but hey, City is still good with or without him. So I mean, sure.
2: I wish him a speedy recovery. I, g- I generally do, but I think it's it's. Who do you blame in this situation? It's a dumb situation. It, it really is dumb because he wasn't driving the car, so he wasn't drunk driving. Uh, it was a taxi cab. He said his seatbelt saved his life. I, you know, I'm glad that he's doing okay. He'll he'll get back. He'll kick a ball and he'll score some more goals. Good, but it's it, it's an issue to think about under Pep Guardiola if he's le- uh, allowing a little too much leniency and if other managers are going to come down now on their players. But. Yeah, listeners, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Check out the USA Men's National Team Preview out Thursday. Follow me, Steven Joderan, on Twitter. Follow the one and only Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. Yep, I I changed it up on y'all real quick. Um, Yeah, man, good show today. Great show. Listeners, have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah.
0: The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say